Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is Morgan Bosch. What an unbelievable opportunity to sit down with somebody who knew or thought she knew she wanted to do something with her life. She wanted to be a teacher, and one summer of manual labor with uh, working on a, with a crane, with rigging and crane and lifting, uh, completely changed the trajectory of her life. It's, it's unbelievable to hear it. Yeah, Morgan's story isn't a, she started off doing something she wasn't happy with and switched. It's more of a, she was going to do something and she just fell in love with the heavy machinery work. She uh, wanted to be a teacher and became like a type of construction worker, which is just a big switch from the, you know, not office job per se, but the, the in the building job that a teacher is to the very rough and rugged job that she's currently doing. It's a big switch. And for her to find that before she went into the teaching job and was unhappy is very good. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway is, is she figured out before she spent a bunch of time being unhappy that there was a second act for her out there. And she she went, she embraced it, she chased it down. And now, like she said, she's nine years into this career and she loves going to work every day. And I think those are the stories that we love to bring are the people that that are doing something that they just are are excited to do every morning when they swing their feet off the side of the bed because ultimately that's what people tune into this for is they want to hear people who've made the change so without any further ado let's kick it over to morgan thank you so much. this is exciting well i i don't know how exciting it is but uh um, i'm sure you've had much better friday evenings in the past but uh, it's a lot of fun to sit down and, and just have a conversation with somebody who's doing something that uh, is maybe a little different than maybe even what they thought they were going to do when they quote unquote grew up. Yeah, that definitely, uh, definitely was the case for sure. <laughs> so, so you are a, a crane operator, like the big cranes that, you know, when people see construction happening around, um, you know, the, the centerpiece of it, of, of all the, the work that goes on as things go up is the crane and, and people see that. And like I said, kind of in the intro that, um, you know, people see that and, and they wonder what, what a job like that's like and how you get into a job like that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the cab of one of those big rigs? For sure. So when I was younger, I actually always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I think a lot of kids growing up to your, in the classrooms and you see the teacher as your role model and you want to do that. Um, after high school, I wanted to take a year off. Um, I was ready to apply for university and become a teacher, um, but just wanted a year off kind of to see if it's really what I wanted to do before stepping like into that kind of program. Um, so I was waitressing, just making kind of minimum wage, um, working your split shifts where you work in the morning and then you work at night and it's just not the greatest lifestyle um, for not the best money anyways. And uh, I'm very, very fortunate. And my dad worked at a crane company. So he, uh, he talked to me about it and he's like, 
why don't you come here as a summer student? We're hiring laborers. Um, come hang out with us here. And it's really good money for the summer and kind of see where it goes. I never really thought of myself like into the trades. Um, never really wanted to like experience that. Um, but I had an opportunity and it was really good starting wage. And I was like, well, why not? Like I might as well try being a laborer. And so I came and I was just very grateful. He opened the door for me to get into the industry. And uh, I absolutely fell in love with trains and the industry, any type of big equipment, the rigging, the loads, just everything I fell in love with. And all of a sudden the teaching dream went out the window and I was like, maybe I could be a crane operator. Maybe I could apprentice and kind of see where it goes and Honestly, it has opened so many doors for me and it has been the most incredible experience and I couldn't say as much good things about crane operating. So I started my apprenticeship um, right after high school. Um, it was six months in the yard working as a laborer and then I started my apprenticeship, which was a three-year program. Um, you get your hours, your anniversary date, you go to school, and then you become a journeyman. You write your red seal, like the average Alberta trades. And yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And I never thought I would fall in love with it as much as I do, but I truly love going to work every day. And I look forward to the next big lift or what kind of crane I'm going to run the next day. So did you ever actually start your degree? No, thankfully, no. <laughs> I had it as a summer student, um, was going to apply for the year after, but it's like, okay, I'll give this shot. And I've never looked back. <laughs> it's interesting that, that, uh, a summer of kind of working with your hands, so to speak, uh, was, was the kind of the turning point. Was that like in high school, had you done any of those kind of jobs where, where you kind of got to sit back at the end of the day and maybe say, yeah, I did that and and know that pride or was this something completely new? We're very fortunate. Um, we have a lake lot out at Wizard Lake. So just uh, between Edmonton and Calgary in Alberta. And we built our house as a family out there. So my dad threw it out on a napkin and those were our blueprints. And we kind of just built it from there. And he did everything from the ground all the way up so we really got to see like what it was like to be an electrician or what it was like to run equipment or to do the sheet metal or the plumbing and it was just he's just so handy and like from framing the house all the way to the very end um it was really neat to see that kind of experience and that was kind of my first taste of getting hands-on and i really enjoyed it working as a family but i didn't really think of it as a career until I did go work for my moot. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's fair. You're, you're a kid, right? You're getting to see the, the hands-on aspect of, of doing that kind of work and understanding how to do it. But at that point, I mean, you weren't, you know, you weren't looking around saying, Hmm, is there a way that I can eco to living at this? You were just sooner or later, you're not sleeping in a camper when you're at the lake, you're in the house. Right. So you, you're happy to get that work done. And, and I think that's something that is kind of, um, lost on maybe not, uh, you know, I don't want to shake my fist at the sky like a grumpy old man on kids these days, but um, you know, the one thing social media has done a really good job of is it's highlighting uh, 
you know, the, the possibilities of what blue collar work is, and it doesn't have to have a negative connotation to it anymore was, you know, I mean, was that something that, that kind of in your life, I guess if your dad worked with, with cranes and stuff like that, the, the idea of being blue collar was, there was no, um, you know, that, that there wasn't in, anything inherently negative about it in your life. You just thought you were going to do something else. Yeah. I just thought I'd do something else. I remember teachers, uh, growing up, like I remember from grade 12, I was like, well, dad's in the crane industry. Maybe I could be a crane operator instead of a teacher. And she shunned me and she was like, don't you do that. Don't go into the trades. Like you are too smart for this. She's like, just kind of made it sound like only the dumb people or the kids that didn't really fit in went into the trades, which couldn't be farther than the truth because I'm brilliant people in the trades, but it's just crazy how in try to shun you away from doing that blue work well and and i mean the the one thing about the trades that's not ever discussed um when when, when you're talking to kids or, or you know young adults about it is how uh more likely you are to some at some point be able to work for yourself rather than always having to work for somebody else and i think you know in our our parents uh that generation the idea of working for somebody else brought with it um, an air of security and and I see you know we just see what's going on in the world today uh, there it means nothing like working for somebody else you could be downsized and your job could be moved halfway around the world on a on a whim and and the the notion of having a trade a, a skill that's you know universally there's a benchmark for for what is you know a journey person and and you can go do that anywhere in the world gravity is the same no matter where you go right like what what you've learned about but the the trade that you picked unfortunately requires this incredibly expensive piece of equipment and 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 a very thorough diligent um, safety core program so that everything that you're using is getting inspected properly and stuff like that so um maybe not exactly the same as being an electrician but it is still something that you can at some point if you decided to you could go buy a 45 ton picker and, and strike out with morgan's you know heavy hauling and away you go right yeah exactly sometimes i wish i'm like oh i wish i was like a carpenter skills home with you because that's the only thing about being a crane operator you can't really take those skills home with you unless like you said you're buying equipment um i was really coming when we're at the boat launch back of a trip no tomorrow at me like what on but then it comes to the minus 40 and i'm like okay i'm pretty happy to be a crane operator and i'm okay <laughs> this is a great career and i love it so there's a yeah, I, definitely more pros oh, oh for sure and, and it's just um you know perhaps some of the advantages if you were you know once you're um out handing out advice to all these other kids that are trying to decide what they're going to do and, and you're going to talk about some of the upside you, you have to mention that that uh a plumbing electrical carpenter uh they could move to high level alberta or um you know thompson manitoba and and those those skills are required uh you fortunately for where you live have to kind of be in the hustle and the bustle of where there's construction and, and industrial activity um you know that what what's like i guess you have to be comfortable living around that kind of um 
you know, life. Is that something that you, maybe you're like, at some point I'd like to do something different or are you perfectly content to be in, you know, a refinery or, or a brand new building of some variety, a, a construction zone? Is that at this point you're, you're totally cool with that? I've left my job twice. Um, I've worked there for nine years. Once I went to go teach at Nate, so our the crane program at Nate, um, it didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, I ended up quitting and coming back to Mammut. And then another, I didn't really quit my job, but I moved into the office and I had like dreams of taking over the company and just like slowly moving my way out. Went back to, I love the on so like from the office back to the field i just love being hands-on i love being outside um in that kind of environment and i've left technically twice and it's not always greener on the other side and i just love this career so much and when i came back this time after the office it really made me realize how lucky i am and i want to do this for the rest of my life yeah and i think that's um uh, the type of thing that as you grow, you know, your, your career is progressing, it's perfectly natural to think that the boss or the person in the office is, you know, you want to try that, but it's, it's very, very rare that the thing that you love about being, you know, in the field, doing the hands-on work translates to being in the office. And, and sometimes, you know, you can go to the office and, and it works. That, that's, you know, my, my career in the oil field, I, worked on rigs and then I ended up in Calgary being a superintendent and and calling the work and and I got a certain joy out of that and it had a lot to do with the lifestyle I had a young family so I wanted to you know be around um now that I'm a little bit older uh, I, I'm really I'm not jealous but I when I talk to the guys that are in the field doing the work and and battling the elements and then they get it done um, I, I think to myself, I, I don't think the satisfaction I took from seeing it on a computer screen or taking the phone call is quite the same as the person who was out there actually doing the work. And and I, But I have to see both sides of it to truly appreciate it. And maybe you would have never appreciated what you have right now as much if you hadn't taken those breaks. Yeah, definitely. I'm very happy to be back. And it's honestly like the instant satisfaction <laughs> um, as soon as you complete something like you're lifting a load or and you complete a project or you're building like a steel building and that could be something as four hours so you see the progress of the project in that short period and it's just nice to see it and nice to be able to um see it like that quickly i guess and even when i drive around edmonton or driving around alberta just be able to point out different jobs projects I've been a part of to like build Alberta is so cool and like eventually when you have kids to show them like oh your mom did this or your mom um, was part of this project like that will be so cool and when I was in the office it was really cool to plan these jobs and uh, you can go and see them but it's just a different level when you're the one actually performing it and pulling the yeah and and you, you touched on something um, I think that that is, you know, we have to mention is the fact that uh, you get to tell your kids that your mom did that. And I, I, I hope that the fact that you're a woman isn't quite as novel as maybe as it, it would have been 20 or 25 years ago. It is still the fact that um, probably once in a while you jump out of the crane and 
people are expecting a dude. I think that's just the, still the society we live in. What's what's that like for you when when you're confronted with those? I mean, there's probably enough enlightened people on the construction sites or on the sites that it, it doesn't have to be a huge ordeal. But I'm I'm sure sometimes it is. What's that like? Honestly, I love it um, <laughs> because a lot of the times um, I'll drive the crane. I have my class one, so I'll drive the crane to a site, uh, get out of the crane, and the client will watch me get out of the crane and they ask me, they're like, hey, where's the crane operator? It's like, it's just me. This is all you got. And like, the panic on their face, like they're worried, especially um, 27 years old next week and um, being a younger female driving this big piece of machinery, now you're going to operate it on their site. They're worried. And by the end of the job, I've had multiple clients come up to me and say like, we were scared shitless because you're a woman, you're young, but after the job was completed and you you could show that you know what you're doing and you have the experience, like we'll be asking for you every single time because we love working with you and it's just great to feel that kind of has that same great to feel anyways. <laughs> but it's still like the first time, like now I think you can appreciate it and understand it. The first time it had to feel like a little bit backhanded, no? Like it was like Based on your appearance, we didn't think you could do it, right? And you're like, okay, well, great. I'm glad I was able to prove you wrong, but. Yeah, before I, when I didn't know exactly what I was doing, and I was still an apprentice. Um, it was always, always very intimidating um, because you want to be able to keep up with the men and you want to be able to like do the things that they can do. Uh, when I first started in the trades, I uh, couldn't lift our round. Someone's not familiar with what the round pads are underneath the crane there are these wooden mats and the crane sets up on top of them just so the ground uh, doesn't give out so that just makes the ground area bigger i couldn't lift them so i was expected to drive this thing to site and set up the crane by myself but how was i going to do that if i couldn't even lift these wooden pads so that was something that kind of helped me back uh, mentally i could keep up with the men but physically i couldn't so I started working out and that's when I kind of started falling in love with working out. And eventually I could start to lift my wooden pads and be able to keep up with them. But yeah, it's definitely at first it was a little intimidating, but now because I have the experience and I have the knowledge, I I just laugh and it's like, okay, just wait till the end of the job then. <laughs> well, and, and for the record, um, I've been out on numerous jobs in the last two months three months with a 45 ton picker and those wooden pads are no joke i mean those are they get beat up and and wet and i don't know what they weigh but they're not like i'm i'm six one and my wingspan is that size and they're big enough that to get your arms wrapped on the handles and and move them around is is it's it's not easy and then to to have to carry them and, and manipulate them and get them into wherever they travel on the truck i mean that's uh that's not for the faint of heart uh or to be taken lightly so so kudos to you to to hit the gym and, and get the the arnold presses and the and the squats in to be able to do that yeah they're 150 pounds brand new so then once you start soaking some mud in there and all the other elements uh they get <laughs> You're quite heavy. Yeah. So you you're you do have a fairly 
substantial social media presence on on the crane industry so some some crane op i believe is what it's called yeah some crane um, yeah and so i guess take us through the journey to to kind of decide to start documenting this in a fashion like that i mean to me it seems like there's probably um enough hurdles with logos and you know company colors and stuff that that maybe it's the juice might not be worth the squeeze but you guys have done a really great job of kind of chronicling what goes into the life the ups and the downs and uh and giving people a really good idea of what you know doing a job like yours looks like yeah so i'm very fortunate um when i was started when i was in the office um my branch manager and i had a idea to start our own social media um called some crane up we just kind of were joking around with the idea and we're like well let's start posting and we're lucky because all of the guys that we work with are very bought in and without the guys and the girls being bought in and sending us their photos of their jobs like the crane page would be nothing compared so my friend and i might run it but it's honestly the entire Alberta branch that sends photos in and they just love to be featured. We do birthday posts and like, it just feels like such a family environment um, that we're able to share the day-to-day -day stuff. Cause if I'm stuck on a site for a little, I'm not going to be able to get the good content. But when you have a force of like a hundred crane operators going on different jobs every day, you get to really see like the cool jobs and the cool projects and it's just neat how bought they are that they'll send them to us and enjoy being featured. And we we touched on it a little bit earlier about how kind of the the social media has definitely got its drawbacks, but it does have when it's used, you know, when it uses its power for good, it's able to highlight some of those better better notions of of something, anything, um, makeup, hockey, or the trades. And, and you guys are kind of taking that mantle and running with it. Do you guys hear from a lot of people through the social media that are interested in it, that didn't know something about um, how you guys do that work? They drive by a refinery and they see a stack in the air or a bunch of um, scaffolding up. And and then you guys happen to just post something and you get, a, do you get feedback like that? And, and are you educating people? Do you find that you, you're able to help people understand a little bit better what you do? yeah it's actually amazing the power of social media like people will comment and ask questions about the cranes or they'll message us in their, their our dms um we've actually hired quite a few people through our instagram as well some crane op um, i found it amazing they message us and say how can we get into crane operating and we're like well if you're local to alberta like send us your way and send it over to my branch manager she's also part of the account so she'll see them too we've hired probably five or six people from it just green haven't been in the industry before and want to become crane operators and see how cool it is from our page and that's really cool to see too that it's just from a simple instagram account that you can change someone's life and get them into a blue collar job and, and you mentioned you have a class one uh is that a is that a requirement or, or can you get in obviously i think a, probably a class five is is probably not enough what do you have to have if you were to to kind of get started uh running in in the crane operations so it kind of depends on which division you go into 
Um, starting off as a laborer or an apprentice, you can just have your regular uh, class five license. Then there's the three different uh, types of cranes. So there's the all-terrain cranes. Those are the ones I drive. You need your class one. Uh, you go down the road, you're downtown. You can drive, self-erect your own crane, throw your counterweight on all by yourself. Then they have the rough terrain cranes. You see these mostly at um, plant sites. Uh, the disadvantages, you have to truck them to from and to site. Um, they're pretty handy once they are on site, but they can't legally go on the road. And then the last one is your crawler crane. So those are the big tracks. Um, so they just crawl on site with the big, big lattice boom. Uh, they also get trucked to site, so they don't go on the road. So depending on which division you want to go into, so AT, RT, or the crawler, uh, would be depending on what you need. So if you went into your rough train crane or your crawler cranes, you would just need your basic five license. And then if you went into all terrain that drove down the road, uh, you need your one. And I guess you kind of have to put some thought into what you want out of out of that job. I would guess if you're running the um, the other two, uh, those ones are longer term type work, and and you're probably you know maybe staying in a camp and and working in the same area for you know a month or so at a time, and then you could probably with your you know being able to be mobile, you could be working in different spots almost every day, almost right. Yeah, so it's, they all have very different lifestyles, um, which is really quite neat. The all-terrain cranes, so the ones I drive, uh, your day-to-day is every day is different. Sometimes you go to two job sites, sometimes three job sites a day. Your dispatch will text you around 4 p.m. and they'll tell you where you're going the next day. So you never really can plan too, too much. Like you're always changing your appointments. But I thrive on that kind of environment where there's lots of change and every day is different. You're meeting different people every day. Uh, the RTs, when you go to site, uh, we're very lucky in Edmonton around us that we have so many of the big refineries. So you mostly would stay in town uh, unless you went up to the Fort McMurray region and they have a lot of RTs as well. Uh, the crawler cranes, I would say they travel the most. Uh, we have a lot of wind farms in Alberta right now. So they're down Medicine Hat, Brooks, that kind of area. And you're basically there for the project and come home on a schedule. But it all kind of depends on what kind of lifestyle you want. Like with the ATs with me, thankfully I've been home 90% of my career. And if I wanted to go out of town, I have those opportunities. And working with Naboot is really cool too because they have the global division. So if you want to go worldwide, you could. And then it's also really handy as an apprentice, when you come in as a laborer or a first year apprentice, you work in our yard for a while and uh, you get to see the RTs, the ATs and the crawlers. So you kind of get a taste of everything and you can kind of see which division you want to go into. So when, when you're doing your apprentice, at that point, are you getting a look at everything or are you kind of focusing on one or the other? to to branch out on on your own so the first three to six months usually you're in the yard um you get to see all of the three different types of uh, types of cranes and kind of get a taste of it but if you come in as a first year apprentice or someone who's like very passionate about going into one of the divisions like if you came in and wanted to be a crawler and and wanted to run the crawler cranes they might ship you off to a project um, depending on how much experience you have. If you're green, they might put you in the yard for a little bit to get you prepared for being out in the real world. 
but uh, most of the time you get a taste of everything before they ship you off to your own little division. And what makes for a challenging lift? Like, I guess my layman's brain would think that maybe not always the heaviest lift is the most challenging because there's, there's ways to rig it and you have the right equipment. It would be kind of the, the environment that you're in, you know, is there high voltage? Is there other tall, you know, erection, erected buildings and things? Um, I, I just, I, I need, I don't understand exactly how all those things fit together to make a challenging lift or, you know, a pretty straightforward, you know, quote unquote, run of the mill lift. Yeah, for sure. So, I find the most challenging ones are the ones downtown. Um, specifically, you're driving there. Um, it's always going to ends up being in rush hour because you're starting the project early in the morning. And then usually when you're downtown, you're in a little tighter area because downtown in any town is pretty small. So anytime you're set up in like a tight, tight space, and then anytime you can't really see where you're lifting, so that fine lift, like if you're lifting on top of a building, I find those ones to be a little more challenging. Uh, also the weather, if the wind is pretty strong that day, that definitely is going to make it a challenge. Your run of the mill would be like, okay, you're going to this area and you're just going to offload a trailer. So you don't have very much boom. You just have short boom and you can see everything in front of you. You pick it up, put it down pretty straightforward. And do you get those challenging lifts out of the way when you're apprenticing and you have an experienced operator with you or are you kind of getting the best practices as an as a apprentice and you you got to go out there and kind of earn your stripes um you know once you're out doing it and, and there's not somebody else there to help you with that lift at my moot they're really good at tr uh, training um when you're an apprentice usually they'll pair you up with a, a journeyman or a couple journeymen and you bounce back and forth so even if a job doesn't require a rigger, they'll send a, you as the rigger anyways. Uh, you can watch how the crane is set up and you can help set up the crane. The journeyman will let you run the crane and he'll kind of talk you through everything. So you probably wouldn't be running the crane by yourself until you're a third year or a journeyman because you then you'd have those years of experience behind you and be able to go off on jobs on your own. You must be just an unbelievable video game player. Hey, when you get like all those little nuances of your, your dexterity and your fingers of, of like you go to work and everything's life and death. And then you come home and you're like, this is easy. I can do all this stuff. Oh my gosh. I'm terrible at video games. Like I wish I was good. I try to play Call of Duty and like you move the same time. I just don't understand. It's like, I'm looking this way. I'm shooting the other way. <laughs> I am terrible at it. Or like everyone's like, oh, those claw games and like arcades, you must be amazing. I suck at those. Totally different. Yeah, yeah the the stakes have to be high for your uh, for your instincts to kick in and the performance <laughs> to match it, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit um, with you know the the thought of of you you showing up on at a job and people like looking around for the operator and, and you kind of have to fight through that. And, and then you talk about being an apprentice and, and, you know, you, you thought you wanted to do something else and now you're going through all this apprentice and, and you even mentioned that you, you looked at another part of the same, of a similar career a couple of times. How do you manage like those kind of mental health parts of the job? I mean, this is, 
there's very real consequences um, if your head's not in the game doing what you do. Uh, if you if you have an off day, it can it can get really bad. How do you manage that when you have that kind of pressure in your job? Honestly, if you're having a really off day, like a really bad day, the best is just tell them that I can't come in. My mind is not in it. Even if you show up, there's people's lives at your fingertips and you get to know these people um, from different jobs. And if your mind's not in it, especially as a crane operator, it's it's not worth it. Um, but if it's just like you're kind of having a little bit of an off day, you're kind of, your anxiety is a little bit high. Um, music helps me a lot. I'll turn the music on. I kind of can just sing along and you kind of get in your own little mind. People look at me in the crane and like they'll be on the radio and they're like, are you like talking to yourself or what are you doing? But honestly, like just like singing away or like uh, kind of getting in my own little mind and following the signals or following what they're saying on the radio is it just kind of zones everything else out and you can really focus on what you're doing. And then afterwards you can focus on your, your bad day. So it's like cut it your head, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. And, and I think it's, um, uh, uh, we're in a, a spot in our society where that kind of thing is, is, is treated more real. Right. I, I think at, at some point, probably in your dad's span of his career, um, there was no, mental health day there was get in the crane and do the job and i was curious uh if that's still the case or if that's the case because like nobody's bringing you guys out at your guys's burn rate unless they absolutely need you right so i was just curious how that's managed because i do think the world's getting more cognizant of the fact that if you want optimum performance from people especially in jobs like that you have to make sure that they're coming to work prepared to do optimum things right yeah definitely and safety is just went like leaps and yards from what it was back in my dad's day for sure so it's it's nice to have these things in in place that if you need to you can use them well and and, and just to be able to talk about them I, I do notice that in a lot of the the trades um social media the tiktok and the instagram that that's like you know, you very rarely go more than four or five posts without the person that, that has the, the presence talking about it. And it's taking some of the stigma off of it. I know um, a good friend of, of yours and mine, Dick Frost, I mean, that's something that he's passionate about. He talks about it in between, you know, the silliness or whatever, like the, the you know, lighter side of blue collar work that he likes to uh, to talk about and highlight on his his social media um, when you listen to his podcast, just about every every guest will talk about the the mental health aspect, the being away from home, the hard work. Like you said, uh, you might be sitting in the cab when it's forty below, but I mean, you you set your equipment up, you got there, started that piece of equipment when it was forty below. None of that was easy. None of that was exactly what you wanted to do that day, but you're out there doing it. And I think that that's part of the the best part of of what we're doing with social media with some of this stuff is highlighting the fact that not every day is a 10 and it's okay for not every day to be a 10. What you have to do is recognize when, when it, like you said, today is not the day you have to have the confidence to put your hand up. And it's good to see that it looks like um, that's starting to be a little bit more accepted. Yeah, it's definitely even in the last 10 years, cause I've been in the industry for nine, 
it seems a lot more acceptable to be able to talk about your mental health and be able to take days if you need to take the day. Yeah, it was, I mean, well, I mean, 25 years ago when I started on the rigs or 27 or whatever, um, even if you were like close to town, which we never were, you, there was like the, the easiest thing to do was just to go to work and suffer through it. Right. And, you know, I was young and homesick. I wasn't from anywhere around there. And the, the easiest thing to do would have been to just go to work and be miserable for 12 hours. Cause if you asked to stay in camp, it was going to be way less fun. And I'm not saying that there's a lot of that happening now, but at least the people around you are cognizant of the fact that this is how people feel like this is, this is legitimate and real and it's okay to feel like that. Right. So I guess the, just a couple of things I want to be, want to be really respectful of your time, but I just was curious kind of what, uh, like the, the mechanical side of it, like how, uh, how detailed are is the operator on the mechanical maintenance of, of one of these units and, and what does the training on that side of it look like? So you definitely need to know how to do your walk around, you know, how to do, how to check your oil, uh, do simple things like fill up your DEF, fill up windshield wiper fluid, um, very, very basic stuff as an operator. If there's ever a problem, there's usually a mechanic that's on site if you're working on a project or a mechanic pretty close by. Um, so any major pro like any problems, you'd call a mechanic and they'd be out there. When you're working with the ATs, you might be three hours out of town and in the bush with no reception. Or so then you have to kind of troubleshoot a little bit more. Um, or if you do have reception, sometimes the mechanic will be able to like walk you through some things. Um, to try to avoid making that three hour drive there and see if you can fix it over the phone. But uh, majority of the time I'd say the mechanic would come out. They're the ones who have done the four years of schooling and they have years and years of experience and it's better for them to come fix it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that like nobody wants to take that on, but to your point, um, you're mobile and, and there might not be a mechanic following you around. So uh, not only are you doing the, the crane and the lifting and, and the rigging part of it, but you're also got a reasonable amount of mechanical aptitude required to, to kind of be able to take that piece of equipment and go do that work. Right. Yeah, definitely over the years, kind of find out the flaws of the crane and understand how to fix like an easy kind of fix. So I, when we're, when we're talking to people that are doing something maybe a little bit different than what they started or, or in your case, you know, I'm sure when nine years ago when you started and and they showed up for, you know, uh, company picture day, there probably wasn't a lot of women in in that picture. And and there you are now, and you're out blazing the trail and and showing people that um, there there's there's an opportunity for everybody out there, regardless of kind of their you know which which bathroom they use or 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 you know any of those kind of things that might have been limiting earlier. Um, Obviously, you got into it because you wanted to make some money and have a career. But what does the success of that look like to you now? As you're kind of you're you're entrenched, you've got a little bit of social media following. People are interested in in what you think about it. What does success look like for you as you go forward? I think just keep growing our social media account is so cool, and then just keep moving up on the bigger cranes. So. The more experience you have, the more you can start moving up to run the bigger pieces of equipment. So 
with our union, you get paid more money per tonnage. So like your cranes you get, you kind of get like a promotion to go up. Um, it's not really even about the money when you're running the crane. It's just so cool to see the challenges and keep moving up for the next step of equipment. So I think success is just continuing on this road and continuing to run the big gear. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music. Happy Rock. We would also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and give us any feedback you can. Thanks for listening.